Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so, so very, very much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from readers and listeners all over the world. Our show is currently funded by our patrons uh, at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. If you would like to become one of them or learn more about it, head to patreon.com slash sword and laser. We already hit our first milestone, uh, which means, uh, Veronica, we have to record a jingle now. Yeah, yeah, about that. Um, That is going to happen. That is definitely going to to happen. Though I am enlisting the help of some uh, much more musically talented uh, fellows to help us write the music for our jingle. And, yeah, and maybe it will improve our singing, but it might make the jingle worthwhile. It may, yes. It may improve the overall experience uh, for everyone involved. <laughs> We're so doing our more, best. More on that soon. But yes, thank you to Hilarity everyone who kicked in. What did you say? I said hilarity will ensue. Uh, and also, our next milestone will be uh, commitment to interviews. Uh, right now, we do interviews, as I mentioned in the video on Patreon, when we can. If we get to $2,000 per episode, we will say we'll, we'll do an interview every other episode. Tom, I have to say, uh, though uh, people listening to the audio show aren't aware of this, uh, you're looking rather beige today. I am in a beige apartment in a in an area of New York called the Beige Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it is lending an overall beige pallor to, to your <laughs> why, video. Why did that suddenly strike you? I really thought you were going to talk about interviews or Patreon, and you you went with beige. You you caught me off guard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it, it's pretty hilarious. Is it me? I mean, I'm wearing blue. It looks like blue beige. Really? Like the whole you know, screen is beige. These 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 lights have a very caramel tone to them as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the quick burns. Neil Gaiman's upcoming children's book, The Sleeper and the Spindle, uh, is richly illustrated. It's a collaboration with artist Chris Rydell. It retells the story of Sleeping Beauty. But one illustration that hit the press shows that the princess is rescued not by a prince's kiss, but by a queen's. And not just any queen, it is in fact Snow White. Well, is it actually Snow White or just a Snow White-like character? I couldn't tell. It's actually Snow White. If it you, is? If, if you read the article, it would have... Like it's, all, it's all... I did read the article, but it seemed like they were... I don't know, like they were hedging. Oh, well, okay. It says, uh, together, a sort of Snow White. See what I mean? And an almost sleeping beauty. So I'm like, is it like... But she goes off, she has dwarf, brave dwarf retainers. Right, exactly. So it's... It's Snow White in all but name. All right. And hey, uh, for you Canadians out there, first of all, happy Canadian Thanksgiving. I hope you had a lot of delicious food. Uh, But also the 2014 Aurora Award winners have been announced, which is the best in Canadian sci-fi fantasy work, um, including Best Novel, which was A Turn of Light by Julie E. Cernada. Cernada. Very Canadian name, Cernada. Cernada. Uh, C-Z-E-R-N-E-D-A, Turn of Light. Uh, best Young Adult Novel was The Rising by Kelly Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, Best Short Fiction, Ghost in the Machine by Ryan McFadden. Uh, and lots, yeah, the Best Poem Song, Best Short Fiction, Best Graphic Novel. Congratulations to all the winners. 
Absolutely. Um, Mark wrote, uh, as you guys know, a lot of our quick burns are actually supplied by you, the listeners, over on the uh, quick burn section of the forums over at goodreads.com slash sword and laser. Uh, Mark wrote, in partnership with ID Media, IDW Publishing is proud to announce that Dirk Gently will be appearing in his first ever comic book series in 2015. Helping to prove the interconnectedness of all things, the precept by which Dirk Gently, Douglas Adams' beloved fictional holistic detective, lives. Uh, it's going to be written by Chris Ryle with art by Tony Akins. And uh, the cover for issue number one is by Chew co-creator Rob Guillory. Yeah, and we don't really cover a lot of comic books on Sword and Laser, but just like when we talk about TV and movie based on books we love, we want to talk, like give props to the comics based on books we love when they become comics. Dirk Gently is sometimes not understood or remembered because of Hitchhiker's Guide. Everyone thinks of Hitchhiker's Guide with Douglas Adams, but I love Dirk Gently. Uh, I don't think he gets his due, so I'm glad to see that this is happening. Now, something I read about in the blog post uh, from which the story came from, uh, the, the writer for the comic is actually an American, though. So do you think that's going to cause any issues with uh, you know Douglas Adams fans? Put it this way, they're going to be harder on him in a way. I mean, he's he's not writing a brand new Dirk Gently novel, so it won't be that bad. Mm -hmm. uh, but if anything seems a little odd, you could bet somebody is going to blame it on his nationality. Like, oh, well, of course, an American would have written it that way. Oh, he skipped this part? Well, obviously, because, yeah, may maybe. I don't think it's going to even be true, though. Like, all it takes is somebody who's dedicated to the source material. There are far fewer U's in all the words next to O's than one would expect. <laughs> That's a good question. Like, whoever edits this is going to have to, like, decide. Like, it, what, if the writer's American, it doesn't matter. We're still talking about a British property here. It has to go with the British style guide. You're an E and you're gray, people. If you say so, my, my, dear, my dear Anglophile friend, Tom Merritt. All right, let's Hold jump on. into the picks. Someone's coming out of the lift. I need to bring them a spanner. I think, did you actually say that earlier? No, you said elevator. I heard you use the word elevator. Show, I did use the word elevator. You are you, correct. You did. It's all an act. I knew it all along. <laughs> I was reading a text. Okay. Well, that said elevator? Yeah. Okay. It? No, I don't want to read your texts. That's inappropriate. Let's jump into the picks. We are highlighting all sorts of stuff from you guys, what you're reading, stuff that we're interested that's coming up in the near future. Uh, but for the next six weeks, we're going to be highlighting picks from supporters of our Kickstarter. Uh, so look for threads to be posted over on the Goodreads group. Uh, once every two weeks, we're going to collect your thoughts and comments on the books and then toss one around on each show until we've covered all six. Uh, so these aren't official book club picks, by the way, so don't feel nervous that you can't keep up or, or haven't read the book in particular. Um, it's just a way to expose folks to a few more options out there of things to read. And of course, we especially love to hear from folks who have already read these books. So thank you to Vaughn Romero, who wanted us to discuss The Steel Remains. Uh, this is a book from the author of Altered Carbon, Richard K. Morgan, uh, but is a fantasy rather than a science fiction novel. Terp Christum said, uh, this has more likelihood of me reading it than the last one. I bought the last one intending to read it. I think these these extra picks, but I read the description and I can't really do horror. This one's on Audible, so it may end up getting read before the other one does. Hmm. Terp is trying to read them all. That's pretty cool. Terp Christian, I believe, has uh, has read pretty much almost every pick in the book club so far, even ones she has not enjoyed. She has not lemmed. She keeps 
Chugging on, Stop chugging it. on through. <laughs> Rob Secundus uh, wrote, so Altered Carbon had kind of a good hook. It isn't your run-of-the-mill sci-fi. This is something interesting and unique. Sci-fi detective noir stuff with brain uploads, a murder mystery in the midst of a mortality. But the description for this one reads like the start of another fantasy series. It will follow all the tropes you expect. There are swords and grim prophecies and a chosen one, the whole nine yards. So if it's not what Goodreads is saying, but is in fact unique, I'd give it a shot. As it comes across, though, nothing is jumping out at me as a must-read. Well, I think that's interesting because it's judging a book by its description, which I think a lot of times we sort of discount. And it can really a description could really drive somebody away. Uh, uh, for example, if you have trouble with explicit gay demon sex scenes, this may not be the book for you. According uh, to although, although apparently it is the book for Andy, who said this thread has sold me on the book, perhaps because of, or perhaps in spite of, the mention of the super-duper explicit male demon gay sex. All right. All right, then. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> A little something for everybody. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, and then Viola says, not unless you use the word tentacle. Wow. Oh. Yeah, got into tentacles real quick. There yeah, that sometimes happens. Yeah, as you know. Very well. As, as oh, as yeah, as someone who has read Cthulhu Erotica, uh, yes, tentacles happen, as they say. <laughs> you do. A show with Bonnie Burton. <laughs> All right, next time, uh, the next pick, we're going to be discussing The Many Colored Land by Julian May, which was suggested by our dear friend Ralph Windwalker. Ralph. Um, so point your thoughts, uh, post your thoughts over on this thread. We'll have a uh, link to it in the show notes, and we will discuss them more next time. So, Tom, so, what, are you, what are you reading right now? You know, I'm actually reading Gone Girl, which is not sci-fi or fantasy, um, and I haven't seen the movie. I'm about halfway through that. I'm reading it for another book club that I'm in. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not a podcast though. It's just actual like real life one. Uh, and I'm re I'm still reading on the Steel Breeze by Alistair Reynolds. I, I keep getting interrupted uh, and delayed. Nice. I'm as well reading... as Aleph the Unseen, which we're both reading. Yes, I'm reading Aleph the Unseen. I'm about a little more than halfway through at this point. I'm also reading Wicked as They Come by Delilah S. Dawson, who we will have on the show next week uh, to talk about that book and the other stuff that she's worked on. She's amazing, um, and I'm really enjoying that so far. Lots of blood bunnies. Stay tuned blood for much more on think blood you must bunnies. Explain what is a blood bunny? A blood bunny is an adorable bunny rabbit. Uh, B L U D blood bunny um, that will murder you uh, as soon as you turn your back, or even if your back isn't turned, if you just don't notice <laughs> that there's an adorable rabbit on your foot, um, suddenly you're gonna be drained of all of your life blood. It's like Monty Python. Kind of, yeah. Big, dark, pointy teeth. <laughs> oh God, those things are so terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so bunnies, who knew? They're a, a little used horror trope. Um, and I'm glad Delilah S. Dawson is bringing them back into the fore. Absolutely. And of course, you can find more upcoming releases um, over at swordandlaser.com slash calendar. All right, well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Our first post comes from Paolo called Best Use of Time Travel in a Novel. Paolo writes, Time travel, I think, is one of the trickiest things for an author to utilize in a story. Could anyone recommend books that implement it particularly well? Uh, Louis nominated The Accidental Time Machine and The Time Traveler's Wife. Uh, it's been a while since I read it, but the writer of Back to the Future films said Up the Line was a huge inspiration when he wrote the trilogy. 
That is actually pretty cool. Uh, Phil has a few suggestions. Uh, he says the ones that spring to mind for me are to say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis, a good humorous story, Past Watch, The Redemption of Christopher Columbus by Orson Scott Card. I don't know if Christopher Columbus needs any redeeming. I think he's kind of dug himself in a hole there at this point, but maybe well, he can back well, that, Isn't that the definition of someone who needs redeeming is someone who's like dug themselves in a... Yeah, you're, I guess what you're saying is there may not be any redemption. I don't know. No redemption. And then Flash Forward by Robert J. Sawyer, um, which he says is not really time travel, but more of a vision of the future. I think you're probably right on that. We did. We read Flash Forward, didn't we? Yes, we did. And and it is, it is about seeing through time, but without traveling necessarily. Uh, Charles Hughes, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which we also read, was mm -hmm. recommended by Ethan. And then Dama Curdy says The Anubis Gates by Tim Powers is quite good. Um, and there's just there's so many. Actually, a lot of suggestions for The Time Traveler's Wife, which, you know, I, I read. I actually listened to it, and yeah. I, I kind of loved it. Well, and here's the thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. It says time travel is tricky. And I've had many conversations recently with people saying, oh, I, I hate time travel stories. They're always such a cop-out. I feel like time travel's gotten a bad rap because there are some really – like horrible examples of fumbling with it and not not even trying almost like you just using it to fix stuff like oh, it was all a dream but not all time travel stories are that right mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think it can be definitely used as a a storytelling method. Um, you know, sometimes better than others. But when I think when somebody pulls it off well, it's one of my favorite kinds of stories. Right. Because it's it's so intricate and and it, you you risk having it end up being like an easy way out. If if the author doesn't take it as an easy way out, then it's it's fascinating to me. I you think know, I actually think those are always time travel. Yeah, you know, I really liked uh, for um, Outlander. I know it's it's become kind of popular now, but I think they really, I think Diana Gabaldon really did a great job of combining time travel, but with kind of, you know, ancient stories and mythology built into the world that she was traveling to. And I think that worked really well in that instance um, and was kind of a very different take on time travel for me anyway, less sci-fi and more built into mythology. So I thought that was, that was really cool. So there's definitely different ways that people can do it that, that kind of news it up a little bit. Time travel is one of my favorite types of story and um, apocalypses are my other is that your other favorite? It really is. I love a good apocalyptic, like especially a like everything's been destroyed uh, yeah. story. Yeah, well, Daniel is looking for some good suggestions in that arena. Uh, this thread is called, It's the End of the World as We Know It. He didn't add the I feel fine part, which I do automatically in my he head. He doesn't feel that fine about it yet. Yeah, so he says, hi, everyone. Um, I, I feel like a change when it comes to my reading habits, and I want to read more apocalyptic novels, as I feel it's an area I've somewhat overlooked. I have to say that one of my favorite books of all time is Day of the Triffids, and apart from this, I don't think I've read any other novels similar. Uh, any recommendations? Extra points for bleakness. Well, that's easy. <laughs> Wow. Well, John Joseph Adams' uh, Apocalypse Triptych uh, was the first recommendation from Joanna. The end is nigh, the end is now, and the end has come. Uh, also, a canticle for Leibowitz, which is post-apocalyptic, but verge, you know, it's 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 it definitely falls under this. Uh, yeah. Mark recommended that, and another older novel that's also well known is On the Beach. Mark also recommended. And if you really want to go Bleaksville, 
definitely check out The Road by Cormac McCarthy because that is Bleaksville times a million. Uh, that was recommended by Tassie Dave. Uh, he goes on to say, less bleak but more enjoyable are two we read as sword and laser picks, World, Wool and World War. I almost said World. <laughs> world. I, don't know. I mean, I guess they are less wool. bleak than The Road, but there aren't too many other books that the, but Wool and World War Z are actually less bleak than. Yeah. If there is a world bleaker than what is in Wool or what is in World War Z, yeah. I don't know if I want to go to there. Oh, and Nicole pointed out California by Eden Lapuki and Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Both recent releases uh, are are good examples of the genre. Absolutely. There's there's tons of stuff out there. Uh, Rasnex has The Stand by, by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Sure. No, goody. There is no shortage of apocalyptic stories out there. Trust me. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into our Book of the Month discussion. Uh, this month, we are reading Aleph the Unseen by G. Willow Wilson, uh, who we had on the show uh, many moons ago uh, back in, was it season two of the video show or was it season one? I can't remember now. I don't know. I did the research for it last episode and now I forgot. Okay, don't worry about it then. Let we me won't look over. I can tell you in a second. Little head. <laughs> I'm blonde. Oh. No, hold on. Uh, episode number 112. That Back doesn't count at all, because that was a podcast number. I think 12 yeah. would have been season one. October 15th, 2012. Oh, okay. Oh, you have a it date. was an audio interview. I know, but was... No, but we did it on the video show. She, that was the audio version of the video show. No, it was just audio. Really? Yep. She was on the video show, though, wasn't she? No? Yeah. Whatever. Fine. Fix that. Be right. I don't care. Do whatever you want. It's facts, ma'am. You talk about the book then. See if I care. Oh, come on. All right, fine. I'll start us off, but you're going to talk. Hack started a uh, thread called Religion in Aleph the Unseen. Net positive or negative, right? And there's been a lot of discussion of that because most of our audience uh, comes from a Christian background, with with exceptions, lots of exceptions. Uh, And this is a book written in the world of Islam. Hack wrote, I went into reading Aleph the Unseen with some hesitation because of the strong religious nature of the writing. I was both fascinated and pulled out of the story at times because of many of the religious discussions. I enjoyed the book, and I realized that Islam has to be central to the novel, but I am still trying to decide how many of the religious elements in the book helped or hurt my enjoyment of the story. It could also be that I'm carrying too much of my own religious background and experiences in the Middle East and other Muslim nations into the reading. Now, see, my first reaction to Hack's post would have been like, well, if you're reading a canticle for Leibowitz, do you have a strong reaction to the Christian nature of it or Arthur or or things like that? Uh, But then he points out that he had experiences in the Middle East and, and other nations. So it does sound like maybe it's a more personal thing for him. Well, you know, I, I will admit. So, um, Last month in Vaginal Fantasy, we read a book called He, She, or It, and it had a very strong uh, Jewish religious uh, storyline undertones. Um, There was a lot of that just baked right into the story. It was central to all the characters. Um, And at first, I was a little put off. I'm not, I'm actually, you know, come from Jewish heritage, and and though I was raised Catholic, though I do not consider myself to be religious at this time. so for me, anything that has strong religious undertones of any religion is always a little bit off-putting or... Even Christianity? Like, yes. Yeah, okay. I would say if you if we talk about something like Mist of Avalon or mm-hmm. something that does have strong Christian, you know, sensibilities to it, um, I, do, I do kind of get taken out of the story a little bit more than if it was a totally secular story. 
So I think I had that same reaction to Aleph the Unseen at first um, with the... Yeah, I guess I guess I had this a very similar reaction. I think that most of our readers also had. Um, but then, as the story goes on, for me, it, that kind of wore away and just became an element of the story, as opposed to something that was taking me out of the story. I guess I, I got I got used to it. It became central to the characters. It became central to the storyline and just a, another element of that storyline. I feel like it only sticks out because we and me. Uh, I live in a uh, an area where Islam is not a prevalent religion in public, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in this society described in Aleph the Unseen, it is. Uh, and I felt like that's that's just where they are, you know? It'd be like describing Catholicism in France in the 1500s, perhaps, or something like that, uh, where Catholicism was pervasive. And it's not in France anymore, Um it just felt like, yeah, okay, that's scene setting. That's describing the culture uh, that exists here, and you have to be fair to that. I, I think Rochelle actually expressed my reaction, which was, I didn't find the religious aspects distraction or detrimental. I found it added more depth to what I was reading, since religion was a big part of the lives of the people we were reading about, and jinn come directly from the Quran. So it would be hard to have a story that features them without talking about Islam as well. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot of great points in that thread um, as well. And and uh, moving on to kind of the discussion of 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 the jinn, uh, Vikram, uh, Joanna started a thread about him. Uh, she said, "I have no idea what to feel about the character of Vikram. He's coarse, dangerous, and his morals are other. But then he's noble and dedicated. He's painted up as this big badass, but then all his fights happen off screen." He toys with a convert, but then is kind to her. He seems awesome, but then suffers from the wharf effect. <laughs> I don't really have a good sense of what motivates him, other than loyalty to Azalel and personal glory. Did anybody else have this reaction? Maybe that's supposed to be his gin nature? So, yeah, I think it's alien. It's an alien gin nature. I, like I said, I'm not done with the book yet. I'm only about halfway through. So for me, uh, at first, he seemed extremely dangerous, um, like... You know, the they kind of describe him almost as this dark, unknowable, maybe criminal element that Aleph has to has to approach to get help. Um, but then very quickly he starts doing kind of funny, funny, quirky stuff, uh, like hiding under the the desks at the library, or you know, popping out of nowhere, or being yeah. very what's the word? Um, very personable. I mean, he's he's kind of a what is it? Charming, even. Charming. That was the word I was trying to think of. Um, he becomes very charming. And so, yeah, I don't really know what he's about. I guess it is just gin nature. Well, Alex says something that implies he's read the whole book, but I don't think it's a spoiler. Uh, he says, I love that our perception of him is colored by how the other characters see him and by the end remains as elusive and transitory as the genie he comes from. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a really successful characterization then because it, it'd be very easy to make a djinn appear all bad or at first he was all bad, but then it turns out he was all good. Uh, and what we've seen here, I think, is a really good uh, successful attempt to make a character that is not human and so hard for us to understand mm -hmm. without being like just a puzzle, like we don't even know why he's there. We know why he's there. Yeah, we're not supposed to understand what motivates him, what what makes him right. tick. Um, you know, this brings up an interesting thought that I've had about the convert as well. Um, 
come looking being an outsider looking into a culture and not really belonging or being able to understand it i feel like the convert is kind of these simulacra 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 um for many of the you know white christian judeo christian readers in this story because she I don't really understand the culture. I don't really understand the language. And it feels like no matter how hard you try to, you're always going to be looked at as an outsider. And I wonder if any of this is coming from the experience of, of G. Willow Wilson personally and how maybe she's been perceived in the culture or not perceived. I don't really know what her experiences have been personally. Um, but for me, it feels like I get kind of stressed out in the convert scenes because I'm like, I feel like that could be me. I'm putting myself onto it being like, uh, no matter how hard I want to understand this, I will never be accepted. Do you, do you kind of understand what, I, what totally. I'm saying? Totally, yeah. Every time the convert comes up, I, whether it's fair or not, picture G. Willow Wilson. I'm like, oh, that, that must be her. And no character is the author. It's a horrible thing uh, to tag them with. But obviously, she is drawing from her own experiences to inform that character, for sure. Uh, and, and I think... It's really interesting that you said that because I hadn't realized all of our major characters are outsiders, mm. except maybe for the sheikh in the mosque. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a mosque that has been there for a long time, but but they're all like you've got uh, half Arab, half Indian. You have you have an Egyptian, you have an American, you have a Jinn. Uh, they you know it's it's showing that no matter you know like sure Aleph can feel more of an insider than the convert, but then there's a there's definitely, you know, right at the beginning of the novel, points where Aleph is certainly the outsider in this society. Why do you think the convert doesn't have a name? I don't know. That's interesting. Would it take Yet, us too far out of the story if her name was Anne or, you know, or something? And, and, and also there's, you know, there's a tradition in choosing a new name when you convert, uh, and that may be something... That she just didn't want to, she didn't didn't want to label, her, you know, she didn't want to give an Islamic name, which would be normal, but she also didn't want to give an American name, you know, and so it it strides that divide, and it's like we're not going to tell you, we're not going to color your perception of this character by giving them either kind of name. Yeah, I'd be very interested to uh, to know the answer to that question, or maybe it'll become clear later on in the story. Yeah, we're not done yet. Yeah, same here. I'm not. I'm not finished yet either. But I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it it's a techno thriller. It's a coming of age story. It's a, a cultural drama, and it's a fantasy all rolled into one. Yeah, there's so much I want to say for the for the wrap up discussion, yeah. um, especially like the the stuff between qu- quantum computing and the Quran and the um, the the story that they're uh, the Alf. I don't know how to pronounce it. This is going to be a problem too. Alfium. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 major the book central to this to the tale, um, so yeah a lot of people have finished it already. Uh, Buzz says he finished it and was pleasantly surprised, um, and this kind of continues on that discussion that people were. I don't want to say uncomfortable, but I think this has been such a different book from what we normally read and so different from fantasy that we normally read that maybe people were unsure of how to kind of categorize it or how to how to go about reading it or understanding it and i think that people are and i think you know even myself included from from my first interactions with the book are are you know being like oh this is i i never had any doubt that it wouldn't be a good book 
I think the doubt was that I would be able to understand it with all the the cultural and religious differences from what we're used to in in you know medieval fantasy for example well and and like i said it's different on many levels i think a lot of people's impression especially us readers going into this or even european readers to some extent is this is a book set in the middle east this is a book with islam uh, and that is a big chunk of it but that's not the most surprising aspect of it actually that's 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 just your setting uh there's also like the fact that it's computers and fantasy you know gin gin and technology uh going on and i have to give g willow wilson credit i can tell that she is not like a cis admin right you know like she she's not someone who who lives the life that Aleph lives uh and so there are times when i'm like mm, i might have phrased that differently uh not that i'm a cis admin either but i'm like you know because i know what she's going for but everything she says is believable every all the technology is believable and that was a refreshing surprise for me she didn't just skirt the issue you know she has she talks about linux and and she talks about coding and and sure if you're a programmer you're going to take issue with little nitpicky stuff but none of it's wrong all of it's just like oh maybe you'd phrase it a little different if you had your your preference and so that was surprising to me i like, thought it was very i thought it was very artfully done i mean yeah. the way that she kind of works the the tech, technological aspects into the prose and explains things in a wider way that that non-technical people can can understand Absolutely. that something's happening but also you know get the context around it and the the purpose of it um and i think that's really difficult and important uh and and good of her to do um i think overall it's 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 really good to be exposed to stories that you're not used to i think that's part of the whole reason we do a book club is to is to broaden our horizons and and read things that are outside of our comfort zone and and learn about different settings and and different you know story types and and uh i think this is opening up a lot of people's eyes and i think that's important and good that's what sword and laser is about from the very beginning was learning about a different part of the genre learning about the other side things you wouldn't be exposed to and this this is just more of that that's why i loved this thread because bookshelf says it was refreshing to read something different joanna said my enjoyment started going up around the introduction of shake bilal uh scott said the coming of age felt annoying to me but once i got to the main plot of the story i really started to enjoy it and ended up giving it four stars uh just so many people who are like you know what I was maybe a little skeptical but once I got in this I really was pleasantly surprised and enjoyed it. Yay, and that's always good for us to hear. All right, well I think that about wraps it up for this episode of The Sword and Laser. Um of course, you can support our show over on Patreon at patreon.com/swordandlaser. We hit our first milestone. Yay! So we are going to be writing you guys a fantastic jingle and yes, we will be singing the jingle so you have to hear that you paid for it. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> but there's tons more too of course uh depending on on what amount you uh subscribe at you get a special um activity feed with stuff from us and uh we're working for that next milestone in which we will ensure interviews every other week uh to make sure you get four great episodes of Sword and Laser every month uh along with the ability to ask questions of some of your favorite authors out there so thanks everybody for supporting us patreon.com/swordandlaser
And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. You can get access to all of our past shows and podcasts and, and uh, user reviews as well. Uh, if you want to jump in on the conversation over at Goodreads, you can do that at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser or call and leave us a voicemail, 415-7sword6. We'll see you guys next time with our interview with Delilah S. Dawson. Bye! about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.